vampires, werewolves, ghouls, ghosts, mummies that come back to life after 3,000 years. Can such things be? Well, I've spent a lifetime doing my best to persuade you, at least for an hour or two in a darkened theater, that there are things that go bump in the night and raise a lump in your throat, a hard knot of terror. A number of my fellow actors, M.L. Elric, Mark Valhauer, and Sean Windsor, to name only a few, have helped me in this persuasion. And in this record, it is my pleasure to share with you memorable passages of dialogue from scenes which film historians have come to regard as classics of terror. You ass in a rag, get your right out of my face. It's gone. What are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You might be qualified, ML. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Al? Hey, kids. It's your old pal, ML Elric, here in the Red Shovel Network bunker, where I hope I'm safe from what could be a natural disaster, but I don't think so. What, what, <laughs> what I, I want to do is is talk today about an old friend of many of ours, Honest John Thompson, the uh, one of the finest publicans, not a Republican, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but one of the finest publicans in Detroit history who established a place on the east side at Field and Jefferson, which he later moved to Midtown in a prescient move. He moved to the high-rent district before it became the high-rent district, but for many years gave people from all over the metro area a place to go when they came to Detroit. An eclectic place, a memorable place, a place where anything could and would happen, including he greets you, he yells at you, he helps you do charity, he throws you out on your ass. We're going to hear all those stories from the august assemblage we have here to do the first, as far as I'm aware of, podcast wake in Detroit history for John Thompson of Honest John's. But first, let me introduce our regular cast of maniacs. That would be me, your good pal, ML Elric, Mr. Mark Fellhauer, who is socially distanced from me. So that's. Yeah, it's about six good. feet. It's about six feet. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't care if you put your mask back on for multi, multiple reasons, but. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, let me. Let me <laughs> put my mask back on. We'll be able to hear you. Don't worry. Okay. Um, it, we're going to be practical. Sean Windsor is joining us from. Uh, from Ann Arbor, where uh, he's been writing some stories. It got a guy from East Lansing who went to Ann Arbor all upset. We're going to talk about that uh-huh. a little later. Matt Jennings is, uh, he said something about polishing his chassis, so he'll join us after that uh-huh. uh, and maybe a couple of Hail Marys. And Joe Zuver, we're going to see just <laughs> how skilled got, Joe is because he's, got his hands full today, he's juggling, uh, he's, he's keeping more plates spinning than any man should have to do. But, uh, but before we get to all the good stuff, I need to tell you something else about something men have to do, and that's Manscaped. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Lawnmower 3.0 uh, is, a, is a, a fine piece of technology. It's, it's built for a man, but it's strong enough for a woman, so don't think it's just for the fellas. But if you have not been taking care of your business, if you have not been, uh, let's just say, keeping... Uh, prim and proper, uh, the good people at Manscaped can help you with a variety of tools and lotions and uh, shampoos and uh, some things that I don't really know what they do, but they smell awfully good. So check it out. We are hoping to keep them as a sponsor, and that'll only happen if you go there and make a purchase. You'll get 20% off and free shipping if you use the promo code 
ML at manscaped.com. This week and this week only, everyone who makes a purchase and sends us confirmation, just send us a copy of your receipt or the email that they sent you. We'll get a free autographed copy of the Kwame Sutra. You can send that proof of purchase to mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. Big, small purchase, doesn't matter. We will reward them all with a free copy of the Kwame Sutra. And I bet, you know, if if the mayor uh, could manscape, uh, you know he would because he was very, very meticulous in his grooming. And we also would like to thank uh, the Pride of the East Side, a new sponsor here on the Soul of Detroit. Yes, we're very excited to be joined by Sir Speedy Printing. Now, this is a business that I've been going to for years uh, through my capacity as a supporter and school commission member and uh, coach at St. Clair Montefalco. They did a lot of our marketing stuff, a lot of our, our programs, tickets, banners. Fantastic job. Always the way we liked it, always on time. And believe me, we put them under the gun on way too many occasions, and they always delivered. So if you own or work at a company that needs marketing materials, listen up. Our new sponsor is Sir Speedy Print Signs Marketing in Harper Woods, Troy, and Novi. Whatever you need when it comes to marketing materials, Sir Speedy has you covered. From brochures to signage to direct mail campaigns to promotional products. You name it and Sir Speedy can do it. They have a full creative staff that can help you design whatever you need. So if you're a company that's just starting up and needs to get your marketing going, or you're a company that needs to take your marketing materials to the next level, you need to call my friends at Sir Speedy at 586 777 7500 that's 586-777-7500, or visit their website, sirspeedydetroit.com, to get your marketing project going today. And please, as with all our advertisers, tell them ML sent you. Whew. So, yes, quite a, quite a, a start, and, and we're going to uh, we're gonna get into Honest John in just a minute. But first, we have to, uh, and this is going to be a celebration, so I don't want you to think this is going to be a somber show. I know this is going to sound terrible, but I actually like going to funerals because I hear stories about people who I thought I knew, and I find out so many more things. They tend to inspire me. They tend to uh, reinforce for me why someone was so special and what it is that we do in our lives that makes us special to other people. And so in that way, I I think of them as celebrations rather than opportunities to mourn. But we, we do have to acknowledge some losses um, in addition to John Thompson. And that would be one of our, our brother of a, a good friend of ours, Charlie LaDuff lost his brother. And uh, if you, if you didn't hear the no BS news hour last week, you'll hear Charlie doing a live remote from the funeral, which yeah. is one of the more bizarre things I've ever heard, but also pretty hilarious. And yeah. celebration of life. Right? Yeah. And I think uh, making the most of a, of a very difficult situation and I'm sure everyone by now has heard about the passing of Jamie Samuelson, who uh, I knew him just to say hello, thought he was great at what he did and seemed like a really high caliber individual. But uh, a lot of other people have uh, knew him better and are feeling that loss uh, very acutely. So we want to acknowledge the passing of Jamie and and what can, a can I tell a story about Jamie? Was for sure. I, I worked with him. Um, he came into a really weird situation. Drew left the Drew and Mike show from I want to say spring '07 to summer of '09, and Jamie came in and to step in that machine uh, like he did. You know, there were some awkward times, but uh, we got along great. <laughs> just you know, a lot of TV talked about a lot of TV. But maybe a weekend, just shooting the shit. And I said, hey, "Are you going to Temple this weekend?" 
And he said, temple? What are you talking about? I said, oh, you're not religious? He goes, no. Yeah, the owls are playing, right? He goes, I'm not Jewish. I went, you're not Jewish? What are you talking about? He goes, well, I think I know if I'm not Jewish. I'm not Jewish. But your name's Jamie Samuelson. And he said, yeah, it's S-E-N, not S-O-N. I said, your son's name's Josh, though. What are you talking about? You're not Jewish. It just totally blew my mind that he wasn't. But, you know, he laughed it off and made some jokes about it and became a friend. I mean, I feel lucky... I, I don't have many regrets. You know me. I, I just don't believe in regrets. Just move kind of on. a nihilist. Yeah, a little bit. Just move on to the next thing. Um, I regret that I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to Mike Clark. Like, that just will always bother me. Uh, but I was fortunate enough because I didn't know Jamie was as sick as he was. And so when it was announced, I, I called him, left him a message. Then I found out later in the week, no, it's really bad. And um, was able to send him a text because I knew Christy was reading him text messages. So it was nice just let him know how important he was and Wojo wrote a fantastic column. It was very good. It. it was it was it was it was bad and and you know the the one thing to take out of there was that he was worried he wasn't going to leave a mark in this area and he did and he and did clearly in all his friends and I'm not I can't say it any better than what Wojo or Stoney or or Birchie said about him. He was just a he was just a great guy. And it's a huge loss in 48. It's a cliche but it is way too fucking young. Yeah, and and to uh, to carry the the torch for Jamie. If you haven't had a colonoscopy, gents, uh, you know manscaping makes it easier on the doctors if you've taken care of your business down there before they run that hose from your ass to your nose. But uh, get one. I I had one uh, when I was at Channel Four, uh, both metaphorically and literally, <laughs> and it was pretty miserable back then because all yeah. you did was you drank and you shit. Yeah, it's not so bad now, and what they have you drink is uh, is actually tolerable. It actually does taste like lemon lime something, and you can have some broth, so it's it's not as miserable as it was, and it really is something men and women should be very aware of this. I, there was a, a friend of mine at the uh, Free Press who I'd worked with in Allentown. When I came to the Free Press in 1999, he was a business reporter. His name was Dan Fricker. Uh, Good-looking guy, a little older than me, a uh, lot better looking, in great shape. He was a swimmer. The, the most fit guy you ever saw. He got colon cancer, yeah. and he fought like a champ, but, but he was gone real fast. I mean, you want to catch this thing because if it catches you and you're napping – uh, yeah, you know, it's, 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 nasty. it's a lot of people who uh, are going to wish you had gotten checked sooner. So please, on behalf of Jamie, mm-hmm. on behalf of your own health and your family, get that stuff checked. Don't fool around, um, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, he'll be missed. man. Yeah. And uh, and if you played sports at the University of Michigan, you probably already had your colon okay. checked. Yeah. Yeah. But it's nice segue. It's It's nice to have it done. By prescription, but we'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show. So, uh, Jamie, Jamie was a Jamie was a wildcat. He doesn't he was, care. No, he doesn't he, care if he, the Wolverines he, take a beating on this show. I think he'd laugh at that. Actually, a you know, <laughs> great sense of humor, man. Those Jewish guys are funny. <laughs> those, those Jewish guys from Sweden. Jeez. So, uh, so now it's time to get to uh, to get to our uh, uh, Mr. Sean Windsor because Sean. Um, boy, this is, this show is kind of uneven a lot of death, here. Yeah, yeah. Sean, uh, while a lot of people knew about Jamie's loss, the loss of, of Jamie Samuelson, what we didn't know about until uh, until just today is that your family also suffered a loss. Tell us a little bit about about your column and about uh, Dan Morey, the man, the legend. Don, uh, Dan is actually a different brother uh, in law, but Don, it was it was Don Morey and Don. Sorry, you know, normally normally I wouldn't 
necessarily right about family in those circumstances, but he was uh, a similar presence to Jamie, uh, sort of an amazing listener. You know how rare it is when you come across people that look you in the eye and you, you feel like they're actually paying attention to you and then consider what you're saying. And you you kind of go from there. They, those, both those men were like that. And uh, I just, I, I kind of wanted to write about that because the uh, the ability to make somebody feel seen and heard, I think is, is a, a pretty powerful thing. And, and so that's really what the column's about. And those, those two guys in very different ways, my brother in law ran a state agency in Nebraska that, that helped out the disadvantaged kids, some kids with disabilities and, didn't quite have the same platform Jamie did, but but the influence, uh, as I wrote a thing in the column on the on the human spirit, was uh, was pretty evident with both those guys, and it just seemed like a, an interesting, not an interesting, but a, a, a pairing that made sense. So that's what the, the column's about today. Well, I, th- I think it's it's a, it's another reminder that their people affect us in all kinds of ways, whether they were well known, where they only touched a few lives, and so when they're gone, it's good to remember them, and it's good to take the lessons that they taught and to put them into practice and remind other people. And at, at the risk of getting too uh, maudlin, uh, I'm yeah. going to introduce uh, Andrew Turnbull, who's going to save us. Andrew, no, no pressure. You're going to save the show here with some stories about Honest John. His, his brother Matt is here as well as Jim Curran and Lynn Neese. And, of course, Alan Lengel, who's becoming a regular here on the show, to share their remembrance of Honest John Thompson, who was a – a larger-than-life individual, the son of a prostitute who became a bar owner, who uh, rented kayaks, who did charity, who would uh, hug you or punch you, depending on <laughs> his mood, and uh, just just a, a real character who passed um, uh, almost without notice a few weeks ago. Uh, you may have read about his, uh, his life a little bit in Freep.com, but we're going to tell some of the stories that might not be fit for a family newspaper. And, uh, Andrew, I, I've been talking so much, it's time to turn it over to somebody who's really got a tale to tell. All right. I'll uh, jump in. Well, the first time I met John, it was comical because we were at Dunleavy's, and my dad and I were there. It was a hot summer day. It's only people at the bar. It's uh, a Saturday afternoon, and in comes this guy on fucking roller skates, long, <laughs> scraggly hair, dripping sweat. I mean, sweating like he just stepped off the Sahara. And my dad looks at me and goes, oh, do you know John Thompson? Which I, of course, didn't. And I get introduced and you get Thompson. I say, what's with the roller skates? Oh, I've been around. I just got done. uh, I just got done uh, doing three laps at Belle Isle. I got $500 fucking ball bearings and things. I'm the fastest guy around. That was my first introduction to John. And then fast forward, the, you know, Several years later, the day he got the keys to his bar on field, my father, who is Jim Turnbull, who was working in advertising downtown, it was direct shot on his way home to Gross Point, and his, uh, he had known John from a bunch of other bars. So he stopped in, and John explained to him that one of the things that he got with the purchase of the bar was the entire liquor inventory, which included eight cases of grapefruit schnapps, oh. which I'm sure... I'm sure everybody knows that a fantastic drink, and, and why wouldn't you love that? Ugh. So he and, he and my father spent two hours mixing them with other things to come up with some type of shot so that he could sell it all. <laughs> so our claim to fame was that the first shot that was named that went up on Honest John's bar was called a Jim Turnbull, and it was grapefruit schnapps, vodka, and I think 7-Up. And uh, 
it it gave John a way to get rid of all that shitty grapefruit schnapps. <laughs> but the funny thing is, people remember that his wall with different shot names. You could either that was either a, a, a spot of recognition or a spot where he would vilify people that he didn't like because he would name a shot like the loser, the asshole, all these other shots that he would he would love to tell people the story about which one of his patrons he was hating at that point in time. And that's what the shot was after. But uh, that's my quick introduction to John. He did all of his bikes, his kayaks, all tons of stories with those. But I'll let somebody else uh, take us take us from there. So Jim Turnbull, that was a good shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as we know, yeah. <laughs> and, and what happened to all the uh, all the bad concoctions? Did they just pour those down the drain? <laughs> they they pitched them, and uh, my father has a rather uh, interesting palate to begin with. So I can only imagine what he thought would be good to mix with grapefruit schnapps. And God help anybody that was there that might have had to try that shit, but uh, <laughs> they got rid of it. So it's all good. Ay ay ay, Matt, can you top that? I don't want to start a sibling rivalry here, but uh, that was a pretty good John imitation. I know you've got uh, not a bad one either. Well, I'll tell you the uh, with Thompson. One of the things that our whole family, I think, from the time that, as Andrew mentioned, the doors opened with my dad, it was probably a stretch of twelve years or fifteen years on the East Jefferson location that you had a better than fifty percent chance of walking in and seeing a Turnbull at the bar with, with two other brothers, myself and my dad, the odds were good. One of us would be there at some point during any of the days. But uh, the thing that we always, we got pretty accustomed to was mimicking Thompson and understanding that the way that he spoke and the way he kind of started to get his, his, uh, his tone down. But the thing that we always captured, I think better than most was his laugh which I describe as best as kind of a gargling laugh, which was, <laughs> and he would use it to, to enunciate or punctuate whatever bad joke he had. So more often than not, his greeting to us would always be, oh, oh, you fucking gross pointers, the deck bars two miles down. <laughs> yeah, where did he come up with that accent? I mean, this is a guy who spent his whole life in Detroit, right? Yeah, it's it's you know from the high you know from from the upper corridor I suppose you know where the uh, where they talk things such as diction and things of that enunciating properly you know he had his own uh, Eliza Doolittle story I suppose that way and, and <laughs> that's what we got from all of it afterwards the Detroit patois <laughs> Alan you spent some time working the bar didn't you during the newspaper strike I'm sorry say so you broke up. I said, I, I said uh, you spent some time working the bar during the strike, I didn't did. you? I, I worked there for 11 months. He hired a bunch of strikers, and it was great. And he, uh, the, the thing he regretted is that he was so beloved by, by the, the Detroit News and Free Press, they were always writing about him, you know, about his, about his bar, about his you know, events, his charities, and stuff like that. So when he started hiring strikers, I know at the Detroit News they were pissed because he was siding with the strikers, and they stopped writing about him, which he wasn't that crazy about. But he brought me in. I had no experience as a bartender, but... So he would always say, look, if someone orders a drink and you don't know how to make it, ask them how to make it. If they don't know how to make it, tell them to order something different. <laughs> so that was always, uh, but he was always, there was always something excitable about him. I mean, he would sometimes take a, a shot of whiskey, throw it across the bar at somebody. 
Uh, and I remember one night I was working and he came in and he was huffing and puffing. And I said, it was all like hopped up. And I said, what's going on? And he said, he took a gun and he shot up one of his uh, people on the block who was a drug dealer. And he just didn't like the guy and he shot up his car. So I was always <laughs> impressed. Uh, I was I was impressed by that. Uh, he was just always a madman. Yeah, but, but it was fine. He was a great boss. He was he was really good to work for, and he used to say, "I love I love hiring journalists because it's going to take them too long to figure out how to steal from me." <laughs> <laughs> so, Did you ever figure it out? It was an insult to journalists, but uh, nonetheless, uh, no, I appreciated uh, working there. It was great, and we ended up actually. I wanted to continue working there. Uh, my friend Scott Martell, who's now at the LA Times, who got me the job there. Scott, one night, uh, one, one of two guys who came in was a scab. And when Scott realized that, he took their pint of beer, took it away from them, spilled it out, and gave them back their $4 and said, get the hell out of here. So John got a call from the guy's attorney. And so John finally said, there used to be, John would say, look, when the scabs come in, he goes, you can serve whoever you want. But when I'm there... You have to serve everybody. But then John, after that, said, you have to serve everybody. Scott quit. So then John called me and said, what about you? And I said, look, I really appreciate it. But I got, you know, we were on strike in solidarity. I said, I'm going to have to quit. Wasn't that happy. But about two weeks later, I was there with the Teamster who got into an argument with some replacement workers. And I had to separate them. And about six in the morning, I get a call from John. And he said, and he wasn't there that night, but I get a call from him saying, keep your fucking Teamsters out of my bar. <laughs> so, that was my uh, many experiences, but I, I, I loved uh, working there. It was, it was a great place to work. So, And Lynn, you, you knew a former bartender there too, at least for a night, right? Sure. Well, I don't even think my friend was lucky enough to be a bartender there. I think he was a dish dog. Um he had lost uh, his job earlier that day and decided just to go down there um, for the night and just have a drink and then go home. And um, it was a during the week, so it wasn't a very busy night there. And so John and my friend got to talking and he said, um, yeah, I, I, I lost my job today, so I'm going to have to start looking for work. So he gave um, my friend a dish towel and he said, I'll start wiping off those tables for me. And so Jim wiped down the tables and then about a half hour later, it started getting busy. So he was giving Jim other jobs to do. And then he paid Jim in beers that night and he eventually had to call somebody to take him home. <laughs> Jeez. That's some severance package. <laughs> Jim, what, what, what was your experience with the, uh, the late great Mr. Thompson? Well, I'm uh, not sure where to start, but, uh, mentioning him shooting up uh, a vehicle in the neighborhood makes me recall the, uh, the story of his troubles with Toyota and his white pickup trucks. Uh, he had purchased one, I think, as he's contemplated getting into the, uh, the kayak business, and it was a, a lemon. And so one day uh, before a Tiger game, we were there having a little pregame uh, libation, and John came in and was lamenting all the problems he was having with his Toyota vehicle. 
uh, in the early 90s where there was still some animus with the Japanese automakers. And one of our group uh, decided to, uh, to uh, help John out uh, unwittingly and unknowingly uh, to John, uh, kind of like Cousin Eddie in Christmas Vacation went and did something <laughs> uh, dumb uh, thinking he was helping, but spray-painted fuck Toyota <laughs> on the wall across the street. Right. And then off we went to the Tiger game. Well, by the time we got back after the Tiger game, already there was, you know, some attention to why there was in, you know, three-foot letters, black spray paint on a white wall with F Toyota written on it. Uh, so uh, John just shook his head and said, well, you know, not the greatest of move, guys. So later that week we came in and he says, well – you know, uh, funny how my friends at Toyota have been a lot more responsive this week in dealing with my shitty pickup truck since you guys wrote fuck Toyota on the wall. So, so I guess I owe you a thanks. But, uh, you know, just just part of, you know, you never knew how things would unfold whenever John would start complaining about something. You never knew what direction it was going to go. Yeah, he was uh, he was very much an irascible character. It was a it was a place that anything could happen. It was uh, if if folks don't know uh, Field Street, it's one of the more challenged streets on the east side. And even though John was just off of Jefferson, it was a pretty tough neighborhood, and you had to be a pretty tough hombre, as as certain uh, executives <laughs> would would say, to survive in that neighborhood. But when you went there. It was one of those places where you never knew it was going to happen. You never quite knew who you're going to run into, but you almost always ran into somebody you knew, and it was always something memorable. And I remember going there right after I had gotten married, and we, my wife and I had uh, gone to Scotland and got married and, and came back. It was sort of a, uh, a, uh, a very informal thing, and we were coming back for a, a celebration at my grandparents' house, and I was meeting some friends. I think it may have been maybe Lynn and some other people. And I um, was living in Chicago at the time. And the way you back into a tight parking space in Chicago is you bump the car behind you and in front of you to make sure that you fit the spot because parking is so difficult on the street there. And so I backed up and I just tapped a car behind me. And this woman comes running out and she's just livid. You know, she's like, you know, what are you doing? You're smashing my car. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, first of all, calm down. Then I got, don't tell me to call. I said, okay, my mistake. Sorry. Uh, you know, I'm just in from Chicago. This is how we park there. No offense, men. If there's any damage to your car, I'll pay for it. Of course, there was no damage. So we go back into the bar. I'm thinking, I'm thinking problem, uh, problem solved. And it's kind of an L shaped bar or the, the, the space in there. So I'm, talking to some friends on the right side of the bar. I kind of lost track of the woman, but then I see a woman who I think is her talking to two guys, and she's getting very animated, and they're kind of looking over at me, and I thought, okay, here she is getting her two friends, both of whom are probably thinking, if I impress this woman, I'm going to take her home, trying to get them to come over and beat the shit out of me. So I send a drink over there, and then uh, then I kind of forget about it. And then later on that night, I realize that uh, that was the wrong woman that I'd sent a a drink to some other woman and then my friends kind of go and then her friends kind of go. And then she comes over to me and she's, you know, getting really friendly and, uh, and says, let's go to my place. And I said, well, I just got married and I never wear a wedding ring, but at that time I was. So I start, you know, like (laughs) circling my wedding ring. She says, 
that's okay. I got a babysitter. We won't wake up my kids. And I said, I got to go. But that was what a Saturday night at Honest John's listening, right? could be like, yeah. you know, it just, you never knew it was going to happen. You always came away with a story because he had a great crowd and it wasn't anything can happen type of place. The free press obit said that uh, you weren't a friend, you know, uh, I don't know who it was quoted, but you weren't a friend unless you were kicked out of the bar. Any of you guys ever get kicked out of the bar? Well, I, we, I kicked somebody out of the bar. <laughs> well, let's hear about that, Alan. Well, it was just actually, you know, it was a Sunday uh, Sunday afternoon, and there was a school teacher si- sitting next to an older gentleman, and the school teacher was getting very drunk, and they were getting into a heated argument, and I told the guy, I said, look, you got to go. And he, he left without any problems. I walked him out. I asked him if I could get him a cab. I think he sat in his car for quite a while, but uh, that was my only one time that I uh, had to kick somebody out. Yeah, and John, John used to have, he used to have it where it wasn't even necessarily getting kicked out. It was, he would ban people. So it would be like, <laughs> what does that even fucking mean? Am I banned for life? Am I banned? And, and he had, you know, it was a fairly vague timetable, but it would be like, all right, that's it. You're fucking out. You're banned. You're banned. You're banned. You're not coming in. And now, that would usually last about a week, depending on the infraction, but then people would wander back in, and he'd forget about it, you know, <laughs> it would be water under the bridge, but, you know, his his fuse wasn't really too long, and you never knew what would trigger it. Just don't ever take any fucking pictures or bring a camera out in that bar, because that was his, I mean, his kryptonite, or the thing that just set him off like crazy, because wow. he always said, my bar, you're going to be, you're going to have the privacy of not having to worry about getting your fucking picture taken with somebody you shouldn't be getting your picture taken with. Uh, And obviously way, way before cell phones, iPhones, uh, when you actually had to develop film, but he was, that was something that he would go crazy about, which uh, I think probably to the benefit of a lot of people that were in there with people that they didn't want to be seen with. When he had his own mugshot up there behind the bar, does anybody know what that, what that arrest was for? I want to say it was for fighting or disorderly conduct because that's one of the, yeah because one of the things too that a lot of people don't know John was a he was a Golden Gloves boxer when he because he grew up in in tough times and he he used to he used to box and uh, was a successful Golden Gloves fighter uh, which uh, you know that obviously translated perfectly into being a, a bar owner <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely but he he was also. Uh, while he could be a little erratic and, uh, and, and it was very easy to be on the right side or the wrong side, depending on which side he may have woken up on, but he was just a, a incredibly generous and big hearted guy, not just giving jobs to people who may have been on their uppers, but a lot of charitable stuff. Uh, does anybody want to talk about the moonshot or about the, uh, Christmas kit kit for kids, polar bear plunge? Yeah, I mean, I think that part of the the Honest John, the Shakedown Society was uh, probably a good way to just, you know, raise money for, you know, his big heart. And we talked about that neighborhood of Jefferson and Field being a pretty tough neighborhood and, and economically beaten down, that John did have this massive heart where he raised money and anyone that was, you know, between work and home would always, he'd always start to say, well, why don't you help? You know, these kids don't have clothing. They don't have they're not going to have Christmas. Come on. And he would, he would get people to start to, uh, you know, bust open their wallets, give 20, give 50. And I think that was the genesis of the shakedown society. But then he, he got far more structured. And this is in the time before 
uh, Instagram and everything else, that he created those postcards to highlight whatever the next great fundraiser was going to be. And prior to those things going out, it was like, you know, he'd, he'd get people to show up at the bar and you couldn't start drinking unless you addressed a hundred postcards or if you stamped 50 postcards, then you could drink. So he, you know, he, he, you got people to work for him for free to get some of that stuff done. But the, the turnaround was the amount of gift giving that he could give. And it started, I think, with toys, but then it, it progressed into raising money to bring meals at Thanksgiving and at Christmas so that all these families in need had something. So, you know, as as off kilter as he could be, it was a huge heart that, that drove him. So uh, those are my mem- remembrances and the pictures somebody else can probably talk about uh, from there. And Lynn, were you ever in one of those moonshots? I know, but I got to take a picture of everybody in one of those moonshots. Okay, so that was everybody's invited to to stand in front of the bar, face the bar, drop their pants, moon the uh. camera, and every year there'd be a postcard which he would then sell to uh, to make money for for his charitable endeavors. And and Lynn, one time, you know, you guys were coming from Lake Orion, so you came a long way. To, to get to the east side, um, there was a bachelorette party that showed up there one night. Is this how, how were you guys greeted in all your fancy gowns and, and finery? Well, there was like 10 of us. And what we decided to do is that every time you stand up in a wedding, the bride always tells you, you can wear that dress again. You'll have a place to wear it. And <laughs> none of us have ever worn any of the other dresses again. Oh, hi, Sophie. And um, (laughs) cat jumped in. (laughs) So um, we all decided let's wear our old grossest dress that we have and let's um, all get in a van and go down to John's and um, celebrate our bachelor party there. And you would think, you know, because we were quite a spectacle, we did our hair up in big old beehives and put a lot of jewelry in our hair and just crazy stuff. We just walked in and started drinking and John just looked up at us like, huh. And then, <laughs> but by the end of the night, he was taking pictures with us outside. <laughs> just outside. Always outside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim, any last thoughts before we bid our a final fond farewell to Mr. Thompson? Yeah. Real quick. Uh, talking about coming a long way. Uh, there was a group of transplanted youpers who uh, who frequented the bar, and they decided that it was time to turn the UP, make it officially the 51st state. So they launched the uh, UP <laughs> Liberation Front and would write letters and post, you know, the UP newspapers weren't real selective about content and editorial <laughs> control. So they would place these stories about this shadowy, well-funded, group of trolls below the bridge that operated out of this secret club on the east side of Detroit. (laughs) And and then these guys would come down from the UP and we'd take them in there and John would welcome them, you know, and if they were part of the, uh, the UP liberation front from above the bridge, there was usually a shot of Kessler's for them for making the trip down. So uh, he was always cognizant of uh, welcoming people the farther they were from the bar. Well, that's a long way to go for Kessler's, but uh, ML. Yes, one, sir. One last. Sure. If I may take us home, Matt. The, uh, yeah, you you touched on very quickly, and it's John's big heart didn't necessarily uh, find its way all the way north between his ears, and uh, on occasion he had great ideas, but the business sense may not have always been there. And 
you mentioned, you know, kayaks, and he was he was ahead of his time getting kayaks onto the Detroit River. Um, for those of you that remember Agnes's bike rental, you know, he was the first guy to get bikes 20 years before anything right. anyone else did. I don't think we're going to get my brother's bike story in today, but based on a great bike story, I went down the following week to rent bikes from John. And he goes, you can't go, Turnbull. And I said, why? What happened? He goes, because some fucker came down on Sunday, checked out two bikes, and never returned. And I said, well, didn't you get a credit card or some sort of deposit or anything else? He goes, why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> so the bikes were gone. Oh. <laughs> well, if, if anybody else has any stories about John, please feel free to post them to the Facebook or to our website. Send us an email with those at mlsoulofdetroit.com. We will make those available to people, I'm sure. There is one on Facebook, oh. um, I guess, that uh, you know he's down in uh, Cape Coral. Cape Coral? Is Cape that where Coral he was? was where he and, spent his last days. And, and Mike wrote on Facebook yeah. that the generosity continued down there. And uh, for the kids, and had some soccer balls and basketballs and a big assembly line filling them up. So, wow. well, no, he wasn't here. He was still helping. No surprise there. Everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, there's so much more to be said. Last, and, Let's, and Mike wrote on. R.I.P. R.I.P. John Thompson. That's right. Let's let's keep the conversation going. Let's keep the stories going, and let's keep that Detroit spirit of going into places where angels fear to tread bringing blessings and making memories, and from one Detroit original to another. John Thompson, we will not forget you anytime soon. All guests of Harrogate ML Sola Detroit receive a 12-pack of Altus Lager. Oh, he loves beer. That's a lot of 12-packs today. Yeah, you're going to be busy delivering all of them. (laughs) I won't change my mind on anything, regardless of the facts that are set out before me. I'm dug in. And I'll never change. Before we get to our great debate, I have to tell you something about my favorite butcher shop, which is the place to go for prime meats. That's the butchery on Orchard Lake Road, just west of Middlebelt. Go in this week and spend $50 or more and tell them ML sent you, and the butchery will give you a free pound of breakfast sausage links. Now, it's not just any breakfast sausage link. All their sausage is made in-house from scratch by Chef Dave and Professor Matt Jennings. So, oh, Matt. Oh, what's he going to put in that, there? That is a man of many talents. He probably put in a history lesson. Go to thebutchery.com <laughs> to see all their amazing selections and follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to see what Chef Dave is carving up daily. 248682COWS is their number, 248682COWS. And they even have small private cooking classes with Chef Dave and Chef Julie Hubbard, who make some pretty amazing desserts, too. So check them out. It's worth the drive. I promise. I've made it, and I have no regrets. And make sure when you get there to tell them that ML sent you. So, oh, boy. You know, I, I, I think we've heard a lot of voices, and I really believe in hearing from everybody but uh, but the Sinclair Broadcast Group is really pushing the boundaries of this. They're the owner of 191 TV stations, making them one of the largest local television groups in the country. And also the home of disgraced former Fox News host Eric Bowling, who interviewed a former medical researcher peddling a bizarre and baseless conspiracy theory that Anthony Fauci was the mastermind behind a plot to create the coronavirus and export it to China. Now, Sinclair and Bowling initially defended the segment, which briefly streamed on some of their station's websites. Uh, it featured Judy Mikovits, oh, the yeah. star of the debunked video called The Plandemic, 
that was banned by Facebook and YouTube for spreading misinformation. And let me tell you, if Facebook says your shit is bad, it's got to be really <laughs> bad because they will let anything yes, they will. go up there, except for our website, but that's another story. So while this segment was going, it said, did Dr. Fauci create COVID-19 uh, in a graphic that went on the screen? Amid growing outrage, the company pulled it from its broadcast lineup, and Bowling said it would be reworked. Sinclair eventually decided to drop it altogether. And the way they were going to rework this was to add some uh, contrary voices, to give it some context from people who might say that eh, maybe there's not much to this. And I'm a believer that we really need to protect the extreme to preserve the routine and that we have to allow all voices to be heard. Mm-hmm. But on this one, boy, oh boy, I, uh, I'm not so sure. What, what, what do you guys make of this? Well, it's interesting. I mean, they did pull it. So the voice, the word got out there and the feedback got back to them and it wasn't good. So it was pulled. Um, and there is a distinction between what say, um, you know, a cable station would air versus they own a lot of broadcast stations. Uh, God, I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of want that message. Look, that message is going to be out there. We all know about pandemic. You know, it's online. I guess. Is, I, mean, is I heard online? about it. I didn't know that much about it. If I'd known it, it was saying that the nation's leadest infectious disease expert uh, created the world's leading infectious disease. I might have said, what the F? I mean, the FCC's, I, I, don't, I don't like uh, the power that they like to flex on uh, certain organizations on radio, TV. But it's, I don't know, I, <laughs> it's a tough one. I kind of want them, if they want to air it, they can air it. Sean, uh, you you you're pretty much uh, anything goes type of guy. You cool with this? Um, I mean, it was their decision, right? So, I guess to Mark's point, I, I don't know how much power the FCC has. They don't have nearly as much as they used to. That's for sure. The fairness doctrine went out under Reagan in '87, and um, you know, if we still had that around, then they would have had to air this with other voices in the piece or in a piece right after or before it, sure, saying that it was. Uh, disinformation and made up so you know i wish we would go back to those days to be honest with you i'm i'm glad we have laws and parameters but nobody has to tell me there's a law that says i shouldn't go 100 miles an hour i know that's a bad idea and and rather than put this off on what they're allowed to do i think we need to think about what's the media's responsibility we want to represent all sides certainly that's an element of fairness but if somebody is spouting some obviously crackpot garbage that's going to do more harm than good, should we? Well, uh, is it is it our uh, responsibility to provide them a form, or is it our responsibility to say we are not going to allow this kind of baloney to to be put out under our presses, under our uh, transponder? Our, well, well it, it's tough. It's tough though because who decides what's appropriate? Is is it the actual message, or is it who's saying the message? Because <laughs> Um, against the wishes of people in his administration and his task force and other scientists, Trump has still talked about hydrochloroquine. I mean, is that is that something that should not be allowed on the public airwaves? I would say no. He's the president, for better or for worse. But at least with hydroxychloroquine, people are still doing tests. There's been various results of different that. Uh, studies that are that may be contradictory. So there is there's a legitimate debate there. But is there any evidence whatsoever? The Dr. Fauci? No, of course not. COVID. So then, in the market, worked, no, but, the market but, worked but, here. But to Mark's point, I mean, 
yeah, of course, it's the president. If the president's saying it at a podium or he's in an interview like he was with Axios, oh. was that yesterday? Um, yeah. The reporter can push back a little bit and say, right? So at least there's some check there, and that's always been true. But if you're, if you're airing a piece like what Sinclair is doing, you know, what kind of media company is it? What, look, Mike, to your point, what's the point here? What's, uh, are they informing? Because I don't think that's what they're trying to do. I don't think they're trying to inform any at all. I think they're trying to sow doubt and confusion. That's the point of a piece like that. It's not maybe to get people to actually believe that, although I, obviously there will be some that do. It's to call into question other things that you thought were true so that you don't believe anything. And there's so much of that. It's not just with Sinclair. There's so much. I mean, obviously we're talking about Facebook and Twitter. Um, they're having to police their own sites for misinformation. It's just, it's, uh, it's overwhelming, you know, trying to sift through information these days. I, I, sure. I guess the only difference is that these are the public airwaves and for some, you know, for, well, for good reason, they were treated with a different, um, I mean, it's kind of out of the water now because of cable TV. Everybody has cable TV or they've cut the cord or streaming or internet. So it's almost frankly too, a lot of people watch broadcast anymore. Not not as not as much no, as the probably other not. Oh, they watch broadcast through cable, right? Well, when you have so hundred, when you have one hundred ninety-one outlets, there's there's odds are you're going to show it to somebody, and and I believe that everybody has a right to be heard, but I I think my problem with Sinclair is not that they broadcast this, although I do think we have a responsibility as journalists to make sure that we're not just putting some garbage out there, but that there was no context, yeah. that there was nothing to say that there's this one view and here's the other view. So it's one thing to say we have this one crank out there that we're going to give some airtime to, but where's the rest of it to say, by the way, 99.9% of the rest of the world think this is complete and utter bullshit and there's well, nothing to back it up doctrine. that's what the fairness doctrine did at least as it related to television and, and radio and and that, that came around what in the 1930s mm-hmm. and for and for good reason i mean right if you're gonna you gotta if you're gonna give this viewpoint you need to give this viewpoint yeah. I, I thought the society at least from that aspect worked pretty well and i mean obviously there was a few stations of pbs but uh but the idea i think would work well now to be honest with you because newspapers Whatever else you say about editorial pages, which are different, newspapers still, by and large, do that. Look at the New York Times. There are people on the left that, that are frustrated with the New York Times constantly because they're giving every viewpoint. And they don't like some of those viewpoints, right? I mean, but they still do. Yeah, but and, so, uh, Sinclair I, does not. I love the New York Times. I think it's one of the best papers in the world. But as someone who feels that way... I don't want to hear anybody on the left complain about the New York Times. Yeah. The only people... No, ever, no, I'm just saying, you, you hear that, right? No, I know, but yeah. what I'm saying yeah. is if somebody has a legitimate complaint about the New York Times, it's people on the right, because when you pick up the Sunday Review section, page after page is Trump sucks. And and when you're just hitting the same note over and over and but, over again, you're not providing that diversity of quick. opinion. And even the conservative voices they've hired, like Brett Stevens and David Brooks, they're anti-Trump too. Now, I'm not saying you should be pro-Trump or not, but I, to me, when I hear the left complain about the New York Times, I want to say, kiss my mother-loving ass, because the New York Times does not provide as much balance on their opinion page as they should, because... All viewpoints should be See, represented, problem, even if we disagree with them. The problem in Trump. So we're separating out the opinion page, right? For, I'm talking about the left's crit- yeah. Yes, they do criticize Stevens or whatever, but the, but their bigger issue is with the front page, like with the 2016 election, that they give the, you know, the whataboutism and the equal time. And But look, that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Well, they I, also, I think, yeah, and Sean, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but the left, the, the loudest complaint from the Times and the people that worked there was from the left when they had Tom Cotton right. um, have his little op-ed, which it's an op-ed. That voice should be heard, and it's not, you know, it's his opinion. He's a senator, and that that's how the game works. It, 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 it is his opinion. Right I think the, the biggest criticism they've received over the years was for the way they covered the Iraq War and legitimized that there were uh, nuclear weapons over there, right? I mean, it, it, to me, it's, I mean, we get into these little scuffles with Tom Cottons and so forth, but the bigger issue is how are you going to cover the larger issues and you're going to legitimize it, but they were trying to give both sides, and that's what happens. And, and back to Sinclair, so, I, you know, it, it worked, the marketplace of ideas worked here. You know, they had the crazy idea, and everyone was like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And they pulled it. I think it aired on maybe one or two stations. But at some point, they're going to stop pulling it, right? Well, so let's that's we don't, we don't know though. We well, we don't know though. It's not minority report. You don't want to do it before it's done in a way. So yeah. let, let's it, let's let's get to the bottom line. Would you have run that the way it was without any other context? Yes or no? If what? I if I was in charge, yeah. no, I wouldn't have run it that way, but I if should if Sinclair wants to run it, it's their station. I don't I don't really have a problem with it. Sean, you you okay running it the way it ran without context? Without no, I, I think we should I mean, I thought we had pretty good law in the books for 50 years and um that said hey if you're going to run this at least get another viewpoint uh, i think newspapers by and large do that outside of the op-ed pages and i think uh, tv stations should do the same well whatever the law is if you're going to put garbage on tv and you have every reason to believe it's garbage go ahead and put it on there but make sure that people know that you know that it's a bunch of crap Oh man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Is him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into cool guys? Some people think elderly gentlemen who wear earrings are geeks. Well, that's 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 a matter of opinion. <laughs> elderly? Well, you know. I like that you take <laughs> exception to his uh, copy about the earring part, but not the elderly. Well, I, you know, I don't know that he's actually said that. I mean, oh, he has. Well, let's let's get right to the. I give him. I give him my money, though. I'll tell you that much. Some people. Well, that's Luke Nowacki because <laughs> he knows what to do with your dough to get you more of it to keep help you hold on to to make you get through this tremendously difficult time uh, whole. Some people like to save up for something really nice. Some people would call them geeks with a nice new earring that looks cool. I call them fashion forward trendsetters or maybe even a time machine that could take you back ago. to the 90s when dudes with <laughs> earrings that weren't pro athletes were a thing and that's coming back if you're wondering how you can budget for major purchase call luke nowacki at 248-663-4748 that's 248-663-4748 or email at l nowacki L-N-O-W-A-C-K-I at PinnacleWealthStrategies.com. You can find a link to their website on our website. He can assist you to devise a plan targeted to help you reach your financial goals. And with Luke, he'll make it all about you, sweetheart. Oh, boy. Really, really slow. Here you go. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRAS.TC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Seamless. That's getting fixed in post. Yes, that's right. We'll fix this uh, <laughs> after, uh, after yeah, a couple altos. That was a bad one. Um, so we're up to our Geeks of the Week. And once again, oh my goodness, it is it is a tremendous competition you know people are missing the olympics well let me tell you something you want to see some of the finest athletes or the finest competitors ever look at our geek 
our geek assemblage, starting with Representative Louis Gohmert. Oh, boy. A Texas Republican who has frequently refused to don a face mask at the Capitol. He confirmed that he has tested positive for the coronavirus before a planned trip with President Trump on Air Force One. We're very sorry for Louis. We hope he's going to be okay. But here's the thing. He never wanted to wear a mask. He was real shitty about it. He puts a mask on, and who does he blame for getting coronavirus? The mask. The mask, because he said to adjust the mask, he had to touch his face. Louis, did you touch the touch reality, baby? That, that, that was that, that <laughs> felt hey, flat. I didn't know where, you didn't know where you were going there. You know what it was? It was that mask well, I had. Busy leader, Mark. <laughs> if I hadn't worn that mask over here, that joke would have sailed. Uh, <laughs> Our silver medalist is uh, Douglas County Sheriff Daniel Coverley, who needs to get a little thicker skin. The law of the land in this Nevada county declared his agency would no longer respond to calls from the local public library after it declared everyone is welcome. This is a library, said everyone is welcome, and proposed a diversity statement that denounced all acts of racism, violence, and disregard for human rights. All right. Pretty reasonable. Sounds good. They ended it with, we support hashtag Black Lives Matter. The sheriff responded with a letter to the library that said, Due to your support of Black Lives Matter and the obvious lack of support or trust of the Douglas County Sheriff's Office, please do not feel the need to call 911 for help. I wish you good luck with disturbances and lewd behavior. Well, we can all have our differences of opinions on different political issues, but I think you got to come when they call 911. Uh, the sheriff later blamed the stress protests have put on police for his uh, is uh, inopportune. I can under, I can understand that, but you still have to. You're still paid by the public. Well, the other thing is, you know, we see these protesters in Detroit who say horrible things about the police for four hours on end. Then they might get arrested, and the police say something like, "Why don't you go back to your own town?" Yeah. And they get all upset. The police were mean to me. It's like, come on. The difference is, police have got to be professional. They're held to a higher burden. And uh, is it fair? Well, it's just the way it is. And uh, and I do respect the police, but I think. Sheriff Coverley maybe needs to toughen up a little bit. I mean, what happened to those Old West sheriffs that used to <laughs> strike fear into the hearts of uh, evildoers? But our winner oh. is self-professed COVID-19 expert Dr. Stella Emanuel, who stood on the mm. steps of the Supreme mm. Court and claimed that neither masks nor shutdowns are necessary to fight the pandemic. Before you take the good doctor's prescription, consider her diagnosis of the cause of the uterine disorder endometriosis. She says it's caused by sex with witches and demons, known to some of you as succubi and incubi, that happen in your dreams. I'm not saying she's a little behind on her studies, but that myth dates back to at least the Epic of Gilgamesh, a Sumerian poem written more than... History professor? 4,000 years ago. Thank you, Professor Jennings. She falsely claims that infertility, miscarriages, and STIs are evil deposits from the spirit husband. But wait, <laughs> there's more. In a 2015 sermon, Emmanuel outlined what she called an Illuminati plan hatched by a witch to destroy the world using abortion, gay marriage, and children's toys, what? among other things. Children's toys, okay. And she claimed that DNA from space yeah. aliens is currently being used in medicine. But she's not all bad. Emmanuel offered prayers through her website to remove generational curses that she claims are transmitted through the placenta. Oh, my God. Oh my so God. Wow. those prayers aside, Dr. Emmanuel, you have been diagnosed with a fatal disease. Geek of the week Ida. The kids are soft. I don't care for that guy. Me neither. Too no. soft. 
I'm going to pretend like you need to just make my dick go soft. Some people are saying that you just uh, made her the Geek of the Week so you can talk about the uh, Gilgamesh and drop uh, your elitist knowledge on people. It was actually uh, the succubi and incubi. Most, <laughs> okay. most people confuse those. Yeah, okay. but, uh, sure. But I, I should I should give full credit to the Washington Post. They figured all that out. I'm just uh, kind of ripping and reading. But, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I don't we know. We talked about this last week. Well, oh, oh, wait a minute. Is that the spirit husband making an <laughs> oh, evil no, deposit? I just, I just love that you've taken the uh, Geek of the Week segment and turned it into a half-hour soliloquy. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. We, we have that a late entrant into Geek of the Week. Sean Windsor. Matt, you might as well not even bother. Because <laughs> right. Be, before Matt uh, enlightens us, I need to tell you about somebody else who can make your life better. If being locked in made you realize that your house is way too small, it's time to call our realty sponsor, Lindsay Broadwell. When it's time to move into a house, whether you're buying, selling, or both, you need to contact Lindsay Broadwell. Your house is one of your most valuable investments, and that's why you need an agent you can trust and that knows the business inside and out. Lindsay will make sure you get the most out of your house and that everything goes smoothly by finding you a new home that fits your lifestyle. Buyers, sellers, and especially first-time buyers, make sure you contact Lindsay at broadwellhomes.com or 248-767-7767. That's 248-pound sevens and sixes enough times to Lindsay answers. She's a licensed realtor at Remax Nexus. That's broadwellhomes.com. And when you call her, and please, please call her, tell her ML sent you. Ah, oh, Professor. Take us out of the gutter. Take us to a higher plane. Show us what those ivory towers are all about. Oh, boy. Get ready. Where do you guys want to go? <laughs> well, you straight to the top, baby. Detroit. I feel like Matt's been Let's beaten down so much he has no enthusiasm. We'll see. By the power of Gilgamesh, right. start already. Let's get started. Okay. Teamsters president Jimmy Hoffa disappeared in Detroit this week in 1975. Since then, there's been some speculation where he may be. You guys remember the, the Milford uh, farm that yeah. was debunked? Yeah, the Meadowlands. Some, some people say he was turned into sausage, which may be true, uh, according to David Hubbard. Uh, my dad said that he might be actually one of the Renaissance Center footings, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty easy to believe. And my theory was pretty much debunked, too, because I just assumed this whole time he was in Royal Oak trying to find a parking spot. Oh, in, the, in, the, in the back of that Mercury Marquis, right? It just, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> with Chucky. I guess uh, just some dusty guy with a long beard. <laughs> just Driving in circles. Spot. Well, okay, in the same year, in 1975, Stevie Wonder signed a $13 million record deal with Motown, which today would be just over $62 million, which is, as uh-huh. much, which is how much I'd pay to have him shave his head and admit he's too bald for dreadlocks. You know what Stevie didn't say when they were negotiating that contract? What? Show me the money. Oh, boy. <laughs> let me feel the money. Matt, I want you to know that um, Sean not only didn't laugh at your joke, he didn't laugh at ML's either. So, Actually, Sean is... He's sitting there very stoically. He's, resta- he's restraining guffaws. I hope that he doesn't end up pulling an <laughs> ab- abdominal it's my, muscle. It's my favorite part of this bit is watching his reaction. And if, if, uh, Stevie, it's not mine. <laughs> if Stevie were to shave his head, Matt, what would he use? Will you stop with the free oh, plugs? The Lawnmower oh 3.0 from Manscaped.com. Oh, right. Of course. Of course. Okay, Sausage Boy, what else you got? <laughs> in 1999, the Blair Witch Project was released oh. in theaters. 
This low-budget, independent, documentary-style horror film was shot by students using shaky, handheld cameras, which would become a massive cult hit. And I got to be honest, it actually kind of scared me. I'm like, oh my God. pretty much scared me a lot. Uh, it's probably the second what? scariest movie I ever saw on a camcorder. What's what was the, the first? first scariest movie we'll I ever saw on a camcorder? You don't want to we'll know. Set you up. What's the first? The wedding, uh, the wedding yeah. video of Tanya Harding and uh, oh, Tom. Oh, no, no. the Tommy Lee and Pam Anderson sex tape. That scared that you? Wang was wow. a monster. <laughs> oh, that, that was that was actually the blonde bitch trial. I think that one. <laughs> Once again, no movement from Sean. Sean. Speaking of Wangs, Stoic. how are you hanging there, Sean? I was just thinking of Lisa Lampanelli's line about the uh, Tommy. What's his name? Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. Yeah. Tommy Lee's uh, penis, and whether she didn't know whether to pet it or give it a peanut. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you're thinking of Tommy Lee's penis. (laughs) You brought it up. Yeah, you oh, did. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, finally, no short term. 2019, uh... Brazilian drug dealer Clavino da Silva tried to fi- tried and failed to escape from a Rio de Janeiro jail by dressing up as his teenage daughter using a silicone face mask and a wig. Authorities said he probably would have gotten away with it, but the prisoner gar- the prison guards were alerted when they realized no teenage girl would have their wang out peeing on a tree right in front of a prison. <laughs> I'm just I, I, I love wangs this week. Wow, it's all wang all wang history. So I, I want to know what's with the uh, what's with the uh, local accent for the guy's name, but not for Buenos Aires. <laughs> Do not know if you're going native. I was. Stay native. <laughs> okay. Well, that's Professor Matt Jennings. Uh, clearly not a professor of Spanish, but he is a professor of history. Me again. Darn, I was hoping he, well, we were still on when he walked by in his underwear. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Who walked whoa, by whoa. in their underwear? What was, what was that, Sean? You didn't see my son walk by in his underwear? No. No, we, this is a ratings-driven show. Let's let's, <laughs> let's get the hunks out here. Uh, he's actually in shape, too. So, Well, since we've become all wangs, thanks to Matt's bees. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's an uncomfortable moment. Well, we're celebrating ED week because of Sean. That's uh, excellent no, decision, me, and an excellent it... decision is calling David Hall uh, for your <laughs> options on what make many people uh, refinance because they love low rates. And if you haven't refinanced in the last year, Hall Financial is here to help, and he's helping dig us out of this hole. Now's the time. Lower your monthly payments and keep some extra money in your pockets as we go through turbulent times. And by refinancing, you can probably skip up to two payments. So why not see if you can save some money or cut your term? Call my man Dan Morrison at Hall Financial. If you're worried about coronavirus, don't, because homes can be appraised without someone stepping foot inside. Your house is as safe as houses, as they say. Hall Financial Service is the fastest in the business. That's why they have over something like a gajillion five-star reviews from Michigan homeowners, including myself. 
Go to our webpage and click on their logo to get started or call 248-308-5000. Hall Financial, lower payments, better options, more personal attention. And when you contact them, make sure you let them know that you heard about them here on The Soul of Detroit. NMLS 1467435. This month in Room 7609, we are looking at some of the greatest new wave bands doing some of the greatest covers ever. And our first guest is R.E.M. with First We Take Manhattan. They sentenced me to 20 years of boredom Trying to change the system Business, Mr. I don't like 
those items that you sent me The monkey and the plywood island I practiced every night Now I'm ready First, we take me Sean, I, I wanted to thank you for those items that you sent me, the monkey and the plywood violin. Thank you for those. Sure. And, uh, and Matt, uh, remember, I, I used to live for music. I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> sure, and I believe it. Wow. Two okay, so, uh, so I, guess you love, uh, I guess you love R.E.M. doing Leonard Cohen. Um, who Welcome Leonard, to my world, sir. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Fair enough. Uh, Fair play, yeah. Leonard, Leonard Cohen, uh, not exactly a new wave artist. R.E.M., of course, uh, one of the great new wave artists. But what I, I think you get with Leonard Cohen was he was a great poet, and he had some amazing lyrics. And uh, Leonard Cohen himself was amazing. But uh, when you hear somebody else take one of those classic tunes and, and sort of make it their own, put their own touch on it, that's, that's a bonus, baby. Yeah, that song's been covered a lot. Oh, yeah. Is R.A.M. really uh, the new wave band? Wouldn't they be more of an alternative? You know, I, I like to have a broad definition of new wave. There's not a lot of synthesizers there, but they, uh, they took music in a different direction than it had been before they sort of made the scene in Athens, Georgia, along with the B-52s and a lot of bands that uh, came out of the University of Georgia community. And uh, some of their stuff is, is pretty pretty groundbreaking mm-hmm. um and uh well, that's like saying husker du and french are the same because they came out of minneapolis it's b-52s and rem to me are nothing alike yeah they they're both new wave bands i guess i'm saying it there's a this <laughs> no, we have a, we have RM's a, not a new wave band but keep going we have a big <laughs> we have a big new wave tent here you want to throw people out i don't understand well okay so bach is new wave. <laughs> yeah, I never to your definition. Sebastian Bach. <laughs> so, quite possibly. I yeah, I never took Arium as new wave either. But I I uh, went to go see Leonard Cohen at the Fox Theater. I think it was maybe his last tour. And we had seats up in the balcony and he's a junkie who smokes, who's been all over the world, who's probably been stabbed by a bunch of old girlfriends and he was going for like two hours and two and a half hours and i turned to trees and i said i hope he wraps up soon because this is turning into like a night turning into day type of thing she said well let's 
let's just get out of here then. I said, there's no way I'm going to let some old junkie outlast me. So we stayed till the final song, but he was, uh, was it, was it dragging artist. in your opinion or was it still interesting when he was carrying on and going on and on? It was still interesting, but it was yeah. in the middle of the week, you know, and I've yeah. been doing no, a bunch of stuff. That. So I was kind of tired and he also is, you know, not that I, one of the things I never really liked about Pistons games at the palace is that something's always flashing or exploding. So you can never sort of gather your thoughts Leonard Cohen's the opposite. Yeah, you got a you need some uh, you flashes. Got ancient dude with a fedora on the stage playing a guitar, and uh, and his backup singers who were forty years younger than him were still geezers. Actually, I, I don't know. I'm making that up. Sure. If you have a nomination for a great new wave or close to new wave or sort of just wave or maybe just new band that does a cover, send it to ML Soul of Detroit at gmail.com or give us a call at 313-288-9070 that's butterfield 89070 and i promise you we will give it every consideration this month we are doing new wave uh covers before we go i I want to look back on something else that sean wrote uh maybe not as moving as the tribute to don or jamie but that would be mr schembechler who has gotten sean in a little bit of trouble with the folks who really like blue and what they call maze. Yeah, I, I would think this column, Sean, probably got a, a lot of people mad at you, which, which as a Michigan yeah. guy, I think is totally, totally ridiculous. Yeah. What's interesting is that I actually heard from some Michigan State fans who were mad at me because they thought I went too easy. <laughs> Come on. What, your column on Bo Paterno? They didn't like that? Look, you can't judge... I mean, it's difficult to judge one era by the next, but we do it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is what we do using today's standards. If Let's just say if what happened now or what happened then happened now and Bo reacted the same way and all he did was say, go talk to the athletic director, he'd lose his job, right? Yeah. I mean, he would. Maybe. I mean. By today's standard. No, if that gets out, that you don't say go to the police, that you don't, you know, if the AD is trying to say, hey, let's, not do anything, and you don't go above his head within the university, um, anything like that, right? I mean, it just wouldn't happen now. But uh, Yeah, but so it, it shouldn't I, have so, been allowed to happen back then. You can't tell me that somebody sticking a finger up your ass because you got a headache was acceptable in 1982, 1952, 1922, 1642, when Gilgamesh did his thing. <laughs> I no, wonder. of course it wasn't. I, I have a feeling, though, that people will say, well, uh, or at least back then, people would have said, well, I would have just, you know, punched him in the face and left. And, you know, the, the yeah. way people thought about mm-hmm. how that stuff happened then, uh, back then, is very different to how we know how people are groomed or scared uh, yeah, to speak up. It's yeah, just different. Uh, people didn't know what to make of it. They were horrified by it. They, yeah. Look, the university found out about it when he was running the, when Dr. Anderson was running the student health services and moved him to the athletic department. Yes. Everybody. That was their response to his complaints of sexual assault. Well, Can you imagine? They knew he liked jocks. Strats it's kind of like what the churches did with the priests, moving them from one parish to another, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, the yeah, same idea. Yeah, remember this. Remember this. These guys are very good at what they do. They know who to pick, and they know how to how how to tear them down. Well, and I wouldn't uh, be surprised. Like he picked everybody. I mean, this yeah, guy, uh, male oh, men was, and women. Yeah, I, I have a feeling too. He had a level of protection because he was busted by the health system, and then hey, now I'm in the athletic department, and Bo approves of me, and that provides a major level of protection. Because the, the fact of the matter is, if Bo wanted him out. 
even when he was an athletic director, he would have been gone. He would have been gone. Well, of course he would. And, and, the, and the guy, the John Doe 17, who made the accusation, right, in a lawsuit actually said he didn't he blame Bo. Bo. Right. For, yeah. yeah, he defended Bo for not getting out. He said Bo reacted angrily and sent him to Don Cannon's office. And obviously it's, a, it's an allegation, but um, he felt like Cannon had all the power. But this is 1982, and this is what I argued in the column. But at that point, Bo was an icon. He beat. He won the ten-year war, right? I mean, he filled up the stadium, and the, the donor money was coming in. That wasn't all. Canham. Canham yeah, was very influential and powerful. But if Bo, I'm with you, Mark. If Bo wanted him gone at that point, yeah, he could have very quietly made that happen. You no, know, Bo uh, was a alleged. No other Big Ten coach had lost that many Rose Bowls by that time. Well, at least he got there, jerk. Right. We won him. Right. Should have had another one though. So I, I like that. I like that Nike campaign they had back then. Bo oh, knows Jesus. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I'm with you, Mark. It's, it's <laughs> tough, and I understand. You know, he's not around to defend himself, but well, that's, you know, that's, I know. But but no, see, no, keep. keep. Yeah, ahead, and, and that and then that speaks to you know Jim Branstetter was on um, No Filter Sports with Eli Denny and Bob, and he was not happy with your column. He did not think you should have reported that a John Doe um, had these allegations that Bo knew, but. A, I think, you know, I love Brandy, but I think his opinion on Bo would be a little biased because he, like Franco Harris, was a defender of Paterno and Penn State unabashedly. And that's fine. I understand where, 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 they, where they come from. However, to act like it was just this one guy and no one else knew that Bo was involved, yeah, the, he might want to listen to a couple. He might want to listen to Stan Edwards on No the, Filter The Sports. university said but, they've had almost 400 complaints. Yes, I mean, but the thing that blows my t- mind... The thing that blows my mind is Brandy's always so objective about the teams he's covered. I've never seen him tank one for the home team. Oh, wait a minute. That was a total. That was a cheap shot. Oh, he is. I he's a homer. I understand uh, uh, Jim's frustration. I do. And and maybe he didn't see the other news reports, right? So I was I was writing a column off the lawsuit in the news sure. reports. And I understand. I tried to be as fair as I could in that. And uh, I mean, I didn't call to remove a statue. Well, that's I gotta say that's anything like that. That's gonna be a matter of time. I just have a feeling. If yeah. more, here's the thing: if more people come forward, which I don't know that they will, because that means more football players have to do 400. it. Four hundred. How many more have to come forward? No, no, no. And say that Bo knew. Oh, that's yeah. what Mark and I are talking about. Well, I want to know where ESPN is on this. They were hounding everybody in East Lansing. Why aren't they going after they Lloyd? Why they aren't they going after Moeller? Why aren't they going after everybody connected with the Michigan program to find out what the hell went on? I thought they you cared know, about people being violated. I thought a lot about that. And our readership, people have not read about it. They just have not. And I don't know if it's because Anderson's been gone now. He's dead. Uh, Bo's obviously gone. Canham, who has had a lot of people say he knew, right? Mm-hmm. He was a oh, huge... Oh, he's a wrestler. Good, yeah, the he wrestler whose right? whose career was ruined, his collegiate career was ruined because Canham uh, took his scholarship. Yeah, I will say this though, and and I find that interesting that it's not getting the clicks that say, well, Nasser obviously, and I, I assume Paterno no got more. Near. Maybe well, maybe a people are are just exhausted from these stories. Yeah, have, have maybe, we come yeah, to expect maybe. this happens everywhere because that's why. Well, but but maybe people are. Bo- Maybe it's getting buried too by coronavirus. There's an election. Uh, there's there's protest. I think that's fair. But the other aspect could be they see them. Hey, these are athletes that got molested. Very similar to Dr. Strauss at Ohio State, and it's not little boys and little girls. And I, the outrage just is different, which is sad. It's sad. It, it is still sexual you, assault. Yeah, I mean, if you think about an 18 or 19 year old, a lot of these. 
kids are or young people are. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not a whole lot different from 14, 15 in terms of your ability to handle it, what's going to do to you. And, and I've heard all, I've heard all, sort, all kinds of stories from accusers who haven't gone public, you know, or just talking to somebody, oh, yeah, I, somebody told me I went to see the doctor and it happened to him or her. So. Well, I, I thought the column was fair. I, I don't know what uh, people have a Thank problem you. with it. it. It's the truth. And and you said uh, the only thing that needs to happen is the le- you got to question the legacy. And this, unfortunately, I love Bo. I love what he did for the university I went to. This is horrific. And, and unfortunately, it's going to be part of his legacy from here on out. Please share the show among friends. Um, check out our website, mlsoldetroit.com, where we'll have links to the stories we've been talking about. We'll have some photos. And as we hear some more stories about Honest John, we'll try and make those available as well. We appreciate if you rate the show. Uh, we like to share those ratings with people. And if you do want to donate, Mark, how do they give us some money? Although uh, it may not be a good time to ask them for money. No, it's always a good time to get rich. Um, mlsoldetroit.com, there's a little donate button on there. So just go to the website, hit donate. We will gratefully appreciate the money. And if you want to participate in our Cami Soul program, that's where you send us at least 20 bucks. You have a message that you want us to read on the air. We will read that message. There's very few things we won't read, but please don't, don't push the boundaries too far. And if you would like a little something in return for your hard-earned dollars, you can go to drewandmikestore.com. We're having a sale on hockey jerseys. They are 20% off. And for every one you buy, we will throw in a signed Kwame Sutra. We also have our trucker hats, which are very fetching. We have T-shirts, stickers, and very soon we will have masks and gaiters. That will be Soul Detroit branded masks and gaiters. So even if you don't believe you should wear a mask, maybe you believe you should look fantastic and you'll buy one of those from us. So uh, we want to hear from you. Please write to us at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. Give us a call. And please support the other shows in the network. That is Charlie the Duff's No BS News Hour, uh, No Filter Sports with Eli, Denny, Bob, and occasionally uh, Jim. And, of course, the show that makes all this possible, The Drew and Mike Show, where you can catch Mark every day and where you can hear the Mac Daddy himself, Drew mm-hmm. Lane. Thank you for listening to ML Soul of Detroit. You are listening to the Red Shovel Network. And now it's time for our good friend Cyrus to take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? And that, my friends, draws to a close my reminiscences and recorded excerpts of highlights from a golden age of Gothic terror. When Frankenstein and Dracula, the Wolfman and Imhotep were young, well, comparatively, and when many great practitioners of the macabre, now gone to their rewards, were enacting roles which earned them undying honors in Fright Film's Hall of Fame. I hope I've engendered a pleasant baker's dozen of shudders in you, reminded you of the rich vein of imaginative lore to be mined from vintage reels of screen tales of terror, and outright frightened you a bit, for that was surely what you wanted, wasn't it? With some of my own weird characterizations and memorable excursions into the strange and eerie by my fellow film players in the field of the fearful. And so, until we meet again, may all your nightmares have happy endings in the final reel. Good night and sleep well.